welcome to Evil Pudding, a true crime podcast. I'm Howdy. your host, Courtney, and that is my lovely co-host, Patrick. I got a little excited on that one. <laughs> you're not a co-host. You're Well, no, you are a co-host. I am a fucking co-host. I didn't get demoted. <laughs> I was trying to think. You are a host. You're not just a co-host, <laughs> is what I'm saying. I didn't get demoted after my last episode. I did. No. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> got some good feedback on your episode, as per usual. I, quote, let you... Out of the basement you to did. do an episode. <laughs> but today uh, I'm back on the basement, back on the soundboard. If you're listening to this um, as one of our non-patrons, then Merry Christmas. It's Christmas Day. <laughs> if you're and one of our patrons. Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas Eve to Merry you. Christmas Eve. Happy Holidays because it's Eve. the day before. Uh, wow. I wish I had a better more cheery episode but th- actually this is a really good episode <laughs> what the fuck have any of our episodes been cheery like actually what, this one we're gonna tell you a rousing story of murder and deceit i like, will tell you guys we're gonna leave on a really uplifting note i will tell you that and we've never oh, you mean the episode this episode like, yeah. why are we leaving bro i wish we were leaving somewhere i'm tired the holidays like cease to be fun I mean, they're fun when it happens, but the, the buildup to week it. The prior to it. Oh my the, gosh, it's so busy. The presents, make sure all the presents are good. Then you got wrapping, then you got grocery runs, then you got food prep, then you got. I have lists of lists, and right. I'm not even joking. And everyone's coming here on Christmas, so we're. I love it. Well, it's easier because we don't have to go anywhere, but we still got to, you know, knowing you, you got to make sure everything's clean, right? You got to mm-hmm. do 100 million things where the rest of us, like me and the kids, would literally just vacuum and order pizza. <laughs> oh my god no we're we're gonna have we're gonna have a christmas um festival i don't know, I don't know. i'm in charge of two things for christmas one is booze mm-hmm. and the other is i think the ham yep you're in charge of the ham so ham and booze that's my two things yep i do them well yes you do i'm very proud of you the ham i stick in the oven and take it out yeah it's pretty at the required it's time it's easier than thanksgiving turkey which you're in charge of as well <laughs> turkey's super easy <laughs> It just takes me about 30 minutes to prep it. It's so good, though. You're going to have to give the people your turkey recipe because you get high praises for your turkey. It's always like, I hate to say it, the N word, but it's always moist. Moist. Mm -hmm. The secret is in the mayo. Yeah, you slather it down with mayo. Cover that bitch in mayo. And it works. And I mix that with herbs and And lemon zest. You stuff its butt with a bunch of stuff, too. Lemons, onions, herbs, and butter. Like Like a stick of butter. Awesome. So good. Then we do use the injectable Tony Shasheries. We couldn't find it last time. No, we did. We did did. find it. We Mm -hmm. found the one. It only had like one of them. That's a little ode to my Louisiana roots. (laughs) Yeah, well, it has a little flavor to the turkey besides just. Yeah. Because it's the injectable. You do really good. But yeah, it's it's, it's the the secret is that mayo Mm -hmm. because it doesn't burn the skin, but it locks in all the moisture because it can't really seep out of it. It gives like the turkey a crust. Yeah, I use the olive oil mayo because it's it's even more moist. Yeah. I I keep using that word. But it keeps all the juices from coming out. It's really good. You do good. Chicken broth in the pan, too. Yeah. I like it even better because I don't have to cook it. (laughs) You love anything you don't have to cook. I love it. I'm a fan. I don't blame you. Well, this is going to be a longer one, of course. You literally just told me it's not long. Well, it's going to, I think it's going to go pretty quickly. Okay. But it's not long. This is going to be a long. My notes are forever long. So your notes are always forever long. Yeah. Today is a little bit different. We're covering a serial killer. That's not different. I mean, we do a lot of them. Um, we're covering the Spotsylvania serial killer. Have you heard of him, Pat? No. What the fuck is I, a Spotsylvania? I hadn't heard of him either. And this is actually more recent. 
So surprisingly, not a lot of people are familiar with him and he's truly the worst kind. He's a child serial killer. Oh, I was about to say, he made it on our show, so he's a piece of shit for sure. So definitely a trigger warning here, for folks. Yeah. Big time. If you don't like things with children, this is probably not the episode, and I don't know anything about it, but based off of your description, that tells me it's I'm going to give you a trigger be warning before things get rough, but but try to stick it out just for just for the the, the end, because the first part and the end, it's, it's going to be an uplifting episode, I promise. It's going to seem like it's not at first, but okay. we'll get there, I promise. So let's hop into it. Let's go. In June of 2002... Corey Thompson and his 16-year-old niece, Kenya Spry, were backing out of their parking space of their apartment complex when all of a sudden, a frantic, disheveled teenager started banging on the driver's side window. The girl was shouting, please, please take me to the police station. Obviously, the victim of a horrific crime of some sort, Corey Thompson and his niece wasted no time getting the terrified young girl to the nearest police station in Richland County, South Carolina. Once in the safety of an interrogation room, 16-year-old Kara Robinson broke down and told police a harrowing tale. She told them all about her abduction, her torture, and she told them all about the 18-hour brutal sexual assault that she had endured. And she also told them about her brave escape from her attacker's apartment. 16-year-old Kara, in the midst of suffering such a nightmarish ordeal, somehow had the fortitude to not only describe her attacker to a T, but also remember his apartment number. There you go. She even looked for bills in the kitchen with his name on it. She's beyond a smart girl. Yeah, hell yeah. Bravely, she took the Richland County Police back to the apartment where she was held against her will. Unfortunately, by the time they arrived at the apartment, their suspect had fled. However, upon searching his home, investigators found a footlocker containing newspaper clippings about the unsolved murders of three young girls who had all gone missing in Spotsylvania County, Virginia, more than five years before Kara's abduction. 16-year-old Kara Robinson had just led police to the home of Richard Evanitz, the Spotsylvania killer, a scumbag who had succeeded in flying under police radar for over five years. Damn. We will be speaking more about Kara a bit later on since she is unarguably the hero of our story today. But first, let's get to know Richard Evanitz, the piece of human garbage. <laughs> let's say, oh, yay, let's really get to know this fuckwad. Yes, the piece of human garbage who took the lives of three innocent young girls. And if not for Kara and her bravery, would have claimed the lives of many more. I have no doubt. So this episode truly starts and ends with Kara, and you'll soon see why. Let's go ahead and get started. And like I said, trigger warning, guys. Richard is, in fact, without a doubt, a pedophile. There's just no way around it. We're going to be talking about child abuse and unfortunately sexual assault. I won't go into any unnecessary detail, but I'll make sure to give ample warning before I get into any kind of specifics of his crimes. So let's do what we do best here at Evil Pudding and start with the early life of Richard Evanitz. Richard Mark Edward Evanitz. That's a long name. (laughs) You can't trust somebody with that many names. No, you can't. He was born on July 29th, 1964 in Columbia, South Carolina to parents Joe and Tess. 
I couldn't find his parents' exact ages, but by all accounts, I read that Joe and Tess were married very young and they were struggling financially to make ends meet. Just before their son was born, Joe had lost his job as a bus driver and the couple were struggling so much that Joe was forced to call up his in-laws, so Tess's parents, and ask them for money, which must have not been easy. You know, it's humbling experience. It, it's never easy asking for help, but he had a baby on the way. He had yeah, to. Yeah, no, 100%. You got to do what's best for the. You got to swallow your pride and do what's best exactly. for Exactly. But instead of helping the young couple out, Tess's parents just came over, packed up their pregnant daughter, and took her to live with them, oh. leaving Joe by himself. Thanks for the fucking help. Yeah. So Joe had to go um, to his in-law's house in order to be present for the birth of his own son, Richard, which was super humiliating to him. I'm sure it was. I'm sure he kind of like maybe expected a check, like a loan to pay back, you know, but, and that was just a slap Or maybe the they were going to say, all of you come with us, live with us. Right. They just took her and Something. left him there like, fuck you, you deadbeat. So after the birth of his son, Joe was head over heels with Richard. However, he was falling out of love with his wife, Tess. I think he stayed with her just because he didn't want Richard to grow up without a father, which we see a lot, right? Yeah, sadly, you see that too often. So to mask his feelings of unhappiness, Joe started to drink pretty heavily. However, he was never an abusive father. He was never, he was a drunk, but he was never an abusive drunk. He was always wanting to spend time with Richard. And by all accounts, father and son had a decent relationship despite the demons that Joe was dealing with. I mean, it's good for him. He's still being a good dad. Yeah. I mean, we all struggle with shit, but... Yeah, It's hard to struggle with shit and still do the right thing and be a good person. Anytime you push stuff down, like an unhappy marriage, staying with oh, someone just for the kids. It's never going to get better. Yeah. You start never to turn better. to other things and it's just never, it's not good. And the kids can sense it. I was about to say, the truth is, I hate to say it, but sometimes you're better off splitting and fixing yourself because then you can Absolutely. be the better parent for the kids. You just don't, maybe not all the time. Absolutely. Despite a failing marriage, Joe and Tess had their second child, a right. little- <laughs> That's never a good sign. Never. A lot of people think that um, another kid's going to fix it. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to fall back in love after we have a second kid that keeps us on like wants shit, makes messes, needs things. Needs money. It's exactly what will make you fall back in love with somebody. They had their second child, a little girl named Kristen, in 1968. So four years after they had Richard. Apparently, Richard was obsessed with his little sister in, in a good way, not in a bad way. He had been otherwise a really lonely child because they were living with I think Joe's parents at this time. So they went to live with okay. yeah, yeah, the I, father's side. And they lived in like a like a fifty-five and over community. Oh, okay. So he was always by himself. So he was super excited to have, you know, a little sibling to hang out with. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know that you you know me so well that you didn't even finish your sentence before you like corrected it. You're like, he was obsessed with scissors, but not in <laughs> not a good a, way. Not in a bad way. You know way. him by the time and be like, no shit. I saw your eyes. <laughs> I saw an opening. I was about to take it, but you closed that door on me. <laughs> yeah. Um, they said with the birth of his little sister, Richard was just on cloud nine. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Then in 1971, another little girl was added to the evidence family. Baby Jennifer was born. So he has two little sisters. There were never any red flags that I could find in Richard's childhood. Well, at least not like we see with a lot of these serial sex offenders. There yeah. was no killing cats. You know, yeah, there, there, was and no- there was no, there's no direct abuse or yeah. tons of trauma or they weren't being pimped out by their mom. I mean, I'm sure it was really hard seeing his dad drunk and struggle. I, I didn't say it was yeah. an easy childhood, but it he, wasn't like he was getting parent. beat every day. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. He, yeah. A lot of these other ones are getting beat, molested, mm-hmm. pimped out by their mom in their own living room. You know what I mean? Like yeah. drugs being all this crazy shit kept in the basement, beaten, <laughs> Head injuries galore. This, he's just not 
fit in that category is what you're saying. That's all. Or at least, you know, that nothing find. that was yeah. yeah reported. By all accounts, he and his, both of his sisters had a very normal brother-sister relationship. I found that he, you know, once he got older and got past the playing stage, he got a little ticked off that he had to share stuff, and they always followed him around. And Like he, little siblings like do little to the older ones. Doesn't do. matter if it's boys or girls, the little ones always follow the older ones around. The only thing that out of the ordinary, I guess you could say in his childhood, was that Richard attended several schools because his parents moved around quite a bit. Not out of the state or anything. I think just no, but I mean it can have an impact depending from on his age to, and like on his, his social skills and. Well, funny you say that. Um, however, he was said to have been a very smart, very smart, outgoing, and confident young kid. So he was able to easily make friends wherever he went, and he never had any issues with being the new kid. Would you let me make a point or a joke today without shitting all over it? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, I mean, that's interesting because you would think because he moved around so much, maybe there was some sort of social anxiety or he had issues and that led down the road to the path. But obviously, this is not even close to that. Yeah. No, being the new kid all the time can either make or break you, you know, well, depending true. on there's your personality. A, there's a lot of personalities and a lot of kids mm-hmm. that we both knew and grew up with that liked being the new kid, liked going to a new school every couple of years. Mm-hmm. In fact, Richard was so smart that he breezed through high school and he even took summer school classes just for fun, not because he was failing. Like he was, it, it just came easy to him. He enjoyed it. Okay. He also wanted to impress his dad. Yeah, there's going to be some serious daddy issues there. Um, so he graduated at the age of 16. Damn, okay. So I think it's fair to say that Richard was given a, a head start in life and he could have done great things. However, he wasn't, he wasn't dealt a, ba- a bad hand. He was not dealt a bad hand. Not that we've seen compared to a lot of others. Yeah, yes. No. He was very fortunate in comparison to others and in comparison to most, I'd say. To a lot of people. Yeah. After high school, Richard started working what was called quote dead end jobs, according to his father and rubbing shoulders with not so wonderful people, i.e. ex-convicts or quote jailbirds, as his dad said. Through the bottle. According to Richard's father, there was one ex-jailbird, as he called them, by the name of Billy, who he thought was just a horrible influence on his son. However, Richard's sister, Jennifer, later claimed that it wasn't Billy's influence on her brother that started causing issues. It was the fact that Richard was now starting to drink heavily and experiment with drugs. So I think, you know... He's kind of following in his father's footsteps. Well, that's to a all degree. you know growing up. You see no issue with it, right? If your dad is drunk all the time, yeah. As soon as you, which get, I don't know if that was the case, but he definitely had an issue with it. Well, he was definitely drinking a lot. Maybe yeah, not all the time. To where it was notable. It was very yeah. notable that when he was home, he was drinking, kind of thing. Right. The kid's not going to see anything wrong with it when they get exposed to alcohol, and since they've never been exposed to it or they're early to it, they're going to go overboard because fuck, they've seen dad do it for twenty years. Whatever the reason, R- Richard was just starting to. To become kind of like a shithead, you know? Sounds like it. He apparently robbed one of his family's neighbors' homes. So it was by this time, his they had a house, and he robbed his neighbor's house. This particular neighbor had an elaborate coin collection that just disappeared one day. So, of course, he called the police. The neighbor called the police and reported a robbery. Well, police even questioned Richard, who, of course, denied any involvement whatsoever, and Tess, his mom, backed her son up. And, you know, she was like, he would never do such a thing. Right. And she believed it. Because he's never been in trouble before. He's not he's the kind never of kid been in trouble. Stuff, exactly. So it's hard to believe, like, all of a sudden he's just jacking shit from people's houses. For whatever reason, the cops 
believed Richard and his mom. Well, his mom's vouching for him and he has no yeah. record. Again, it comes down to that. We've seen this so many times with some of these guys that, you know, are on the podcast that we talk about. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they get believed in the beginning because mm-hmm. they don't have a record. No, yeah. It's what, just out of the blue. Proving, seemingly. Yeah. There's nothing proving that you shouldn't trust what they're saying. And they've never had any kind of. They're able to take control activities. of their emotions and impulses to some degree up until they're just not. Exactly. Exactly. So Richard was no longer a suspect in the robbery. But one day, Jennifer, his little sister, and Tess, his mom, were cleaning up around their house when they discovered a bunch of collector's coins. That's when they realized that Richard was a big, fat, liar, liar, pants on fire. Stick your head in doo-doo. That's what he was. Then things really came to a head when Richard wrote a bad check and was busted for check fraud at their local Walmart. Okay. Of course, it's a fucking Walmart. <laughs> it's always at Walmart. The only reason Richard avoided charges with this incident was because his parents were able to talk to the, talk the manager down and convince him into dropping charges. However, Richard's parents were like, okay, enough's enough. We don't like what you're becoming. Something needs to be done to whip little dick into shape, right? Richard. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you did there. So they made Richard enlist in the... U.S. Armed Forces. Uh, you guessing a branch? Uh, it's either the Marines or, or Navy. Navy. Okay. So how did you know that? Uh, don't say it. <laughs> He's Army, if y'all don't know. <laughs> it's a nice little... Yeah, well, I find when you're forced to go to an armed service... That's what you go into? I mean, I, I from my experience of people I've talked to, they're forced to... If their family is trying to force them, a lot of times it's the Marines because the Marines are always seen as that really, really super disciplined, mm-hmm. regimented branch. Yeah. And they are probably the most disciplined out of the four. Or oh, five. yeah. So they're usually the first choice. And the Navy is usually if the kid has a say. Nowadays, I think it's the Air Force. Well, no, Air Force won't take shit anymore. You got to be like super smart. And yeah. Perfectly clean. A hoity-toity. So Navy would be their option. Army always, the Army's always viewed when you're forced to do it. Like unless you say, I want to join the Army. It's always viewed as like the more grunt. Grunt, yeah, the grunt, the yeah. dirty, plain in the mud kind of group. Yeah. So a lot of people shy away from That's why I picked the other two. So Richard Evidence joined the Navy in the spring of 1984, shipping off to San Diego to undergo basic training. And y'all, some drama went down back home while Richard was away at basic. This is, get this. Okay. Okay. Tess, Richard's mom, had been carrying out a secret affair with a prison inmate named Perry DeVoe. DeVoe was serving time for the brutal rape and murder of a young school teacher. And he, of course, was claiming that he was innocent and, you know, that these charges were pinned on him. And that's what everybody says. Yeah. And his mom, Tess, just completely believed him. Oh, absolutely. The, the, they must have failed so badly to put an innocent man away for. Raping violently. DeVoe was, um, sorry, one day DeVoe called the evidence house looking for tests, and Joe answered the phone. So that's how Joe found out about Who the dis? Yeah. Who dis? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was like, hey, can I talk to Tess? Who and the fuck are you? He's like, who's this? <laughs> well, don't you get like um, a call? You have a call coming from, a collect call coming from such and such prison. Are you willing to accept uh, charges? Is he in prison? Yeah, he's serving prison time. He was convicted of the rape and murder of the school was, teacher. Said, I thought he was out. So she's dating no. him while he's in prison? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. How'd they meet? 
I'm, I don't know. All I know is I think she wrote to him because she read about him and like maybe thought that they pinned the murder on the wrong person. Okay. I, I'm gonna go and out then on he a, showed her like attention. Of I'm going to go out on a limb here. People more directed toward y'all ladies just because it's more male serial killers. Mm-hmm. Stop trying to date these motherfuckers in prison and thinking that you can change them or whatever it is. I have, leave to, it. I have to agree Murderers with my husband, alone. guys. <laughs> just leave them alone. <laughs> Don't write to them and say, hey, are you fascinating? No, just stay the fuck away. Yeah. There's, we just gotta, we gotta get better, better idols. We gotta get better, um, a better taste for men, I think. Uh, in men. Yeah. We have to have, we have to raise the bar just a little bit. <laughs> All the society expect needs to do that. a little bit more. <laughs> the, the morals of the world have dropped over the years. So that's how Joe found out about the affair. The couple ended up getting divorced shortly thereafter. I bet. Of course, he's already miserable. <laughs> As for Joe, remember he was a pretty bad alcoholic. Well, after he split from his wife Tess, he got sober. And yeah, he, he the got his wife he was together. Was her? I mean, he was literally drinking because he, he had was to unhappy. Stay with her. Yeah, he was unhappy. That's how he was dealing with staying with her. He got steady work at a local diner, and it was there that he met a woman by the name of, and I'm going to get this right. Okay, hang on. It's a tough one. Esgaharia. Esgaharia. Okay. She was a hardworking Ethiopian immigrant, and the two of them just fell deeply in love with each other. And she turned out to be a wonderful influence on Joe. And the pair ended up getting married just before Tess married her inmate boyfriend. Oh, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot, and this is all while Richard's away. (laughs) Like, he hasn't even come home yet on leave. (laughs) So after basic training, back to Richard. After basic training, he was stationed off the coast of Florida. That's all I could find. Richard was doing really well in the Navy, which he's going to. He's very smart. I thought this was super cool. He had been promoted to what's called sonar technician, and he, interestingly enough, had the job of recovering the wreckage of the space shuttle Challenger. If you oh. remember, the Challenger had crashed on uh, January 28th in 1986. It didn't crash. Je- well, after its launch, uh, due to a malfunction, it went up in flames. Yeah, it exploded. And ultimately, everyone on board was killed yeah, it's, instantly. Yeah, it scattered millions of pieces of space shuttle all Into over the, the ocean. Into the ocean, and it was Richard's job, and of course his mm-hmm. fellow Navy folk, yep. <laughs> to collect all the pieces. So he's doing pretty well from, for himself, for sure. However, as you can probably guess, Richard's story isn't a happy one. So, you know, he's about to get into some trouble. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he probably still doesn't know anything about what's going on back home. I will say this. Um, this first incident, I guess you can call it, because he's not murdering yet. It surprised me. The escalation was, it is an escalation. It's, it's a little unexpected. We'll Let's put it that it. way. Okay. So on January 23rd, 1987, Richard Evanitz, doing really well in the Navy, would totally screw up his naval career. Of course. He was out on leave and was cruising around Jacksonville, Florida in his car when he spotted 15-year-old Kelly Ballard. Kelly was simply crossing the street, minding her own business, when Richard zoomed out in front of her and cut her off, Mm -hmm. stopping his car. Kelly, of course, was like, what the hell? So she stood like startled for a second and she looked at Richard meeting his gaze and trigger warning here, guys, if you want to skip ahead, literally 10 seconds, go ahead. She followed Richard's eyes down to his crotch area where to her surprise, he had his pants down and his penis was out and erect. 
Then he proceeded to masturbate in front of the terrified 15-year-old girl while in his car. And she's just standing there watching. And it's just in broad daylight, guys. This is not at nighttime. It's so weird. And Kelly was like, what the? And she cried out. And she ran back home where, of course, she told her mom. And her mom then proceeded to call the police. And Kelly was able to give the police a good description of her assailant and his car. As luck would have it, the next day, Kelly and her mom were out and about in Jacksonville when they spotted Richard's vehicle pulling out of a a movie land. I don't know what a movie land is. It sounds like a video rental store is what it sounds like. That's what it does sound like. Yeah. Like a a local blockbuster type. Yeah, exactly. Well, Kelly's mom called the police. They were like, Kelly's assailant is here. Come get him. Unfortunately, by the time police arrived, Richard was gone. However, they were able to obtain his name and address from the movie land manager. From there, it was apparent that their suspect was in the Navy. So police alerted Naval Investigation Services, who promptly dealt with evidence. A warrant for his arrest was issued on February 9th, and Richard was taken into custody shortly thereafter. And when he was questioned, Richard confessed, and he said that, I mean, he didn't lie. He was like, yeah, I did it, and I have a real problem with masturbating in front of girls. (laughs) It's gross. And he ended up pleading no contest, and because of his cooperation, he was given merely three years probation and was forced to pay court costs. That was it. But I guess... I guess technically that wasn't it. Sorry. He was also demoted from petty officer third class to petty officer second class with absolutely no chance of ever being promoted again. So this is as high as you'll ever get in the Navy mm-hmm. pay grade. And um, that sucks. I mean, I can imagine how much that sucks. So that was a rather quick escalation with him. And something tells me that this wasn't the first incident of indecent indecent exposure, at the very least, well, he flat that out he committed. Says, I have an issue of doing this. It was just his first time getting caught. Yeah. Either he's lying, just trying to yeah. sound cool. Or just, he but, said, I have an issue with doing this in front of girls. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously he's done it before or attempted it or something. Maybe he did it in front of adults before. like By, by adults, I mean like 18, 19-year-olds. Yeah, hard to say. And they probably reacted differently than a fucking 15-year-old would. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean. They're probably like, ew, gross, dude, or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Richard somehow managed to keep this whole ordeal a secret from his family. Well, that social media wasn't really a thing back then. Very true. It's the 80s. He returned stateside in May of 1988 to see everyone back home. And while he was there, he met a young girl named Bonnie. And by young, I mean 16. Richard was 25. Yeah. Gross. But nevertheless, the pair seemed to hit it off, and it was a whirlwind romance, and they were married on August 11th, 1988. Mm. 16 years old. That's really weird. That's very weird. And 1988 doesn't feel like long enough ago to where it's okay for a 16 year old to get married. It wasn't because. Okay. It's not just me. <laughs> you know, I think about it. I was seven, eight. Mm-hmm. My babysitters were like 13 or like 15, 16. Yeah. They weren't getting married back then. You didn't hear about no. everybody in high school getting married. Like it's, it's really weird to me. It's not the forties. Yeah, exactly. To any outsider, you would think that they were a happy couple and in love. But behind closed doors, things were not so wonderful. Well, he didn't exactly have the greatest relationship example growing up. Years later, Bonnie would reveal that after they were married, 
Richard convinced her to engage in some, quote, brutal role-playing. She said that he would tie her up and blindfold her and make her, make her act out sick fantasies. Nothing she wanted to partake in, but she's 16 and married, and she probably felt that she was stuck giving in to her husband, you know? Like, oh, this is my husband. Now i got to do what he wants. Kind yeah. Because it was still, it was kind of still kind of the end of that era where that was still the ideal. Right? Yeah, submit the, to. The wife really just kind of did what, what the husband wanted. The only high point of their marriage was probably when Richard went back to work now and again. <laughs> she was relieved when Richard had to return back to his ship in the fall of 1989. She finally could stop partaking in his weirdness and just relax. Yeah, no shit. Richard was discharged from the Navy altogether on November 16th, 1992. And that's when their marriage became more openly strained since he was home so much more. You think? In January of 93, the couple decided that if they were going to try to make their marriage work, they needed a change. Change of scenery, start new. So they picked up and moved their lives to Spotsylvania. Virginia, mm, okay. where Richard found a job working on air compressors for a company called Kaiser Compressors. And his wife, Bonnie, had also landed herself a job as a hairdresser at there a local go. salon there. So the couple purchased a lot in a upper-class subdivision, nice subdivision in Spotsylvania, and they had a house built on it. And um, they were now living that suburban lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, he probably made some decent money in the military when he got out. They're that, both working, and then yeah, he's, and then she's working. He too. also got the VA stuff too, probably. Oh yeah, true. Didn't, that's the thing is he didn't get dishonorably discharged. He stayed in, and from what it sounds like, just finished his contract. Mm-hmm. So he may have been stuck at that one rank, but it, his military record shows that he gets out with an honorable discharge, so he gets all the benefits and everything. You're gonna like this. The evidences were well liked in this neighborhood. They're always well liked. So much so, in fact, that Richard even became president of his neighborhood's HOA. Homeowners Association. Motherfucker. He was even nominated. He didn't go out for this. He was nominated like Richard needs to be our president. I really don't like him now. Mm -hmm. Already. It's hard to believe. Fucking HOA. But in case you were wondering, Richard had not changed his ways. He just merely knows how to fit in. Here, I thought he was reformed. He knows how to fit in. That's what they do. Old Spanky can't stop, huh? (laughs) Old Spanky. Although he seems to get along with his neighbors, he... Surely can't get along with his coworkers. After verbally attacking a female coworker at the compressor company and throwing literal books at her head in a fit of rage, Richard left Kaiser and began working as a parts dealer for a company called Walter Grinders. It was around this time that Richard committed his first crime as a Spotsylvania resident. And this is going to be rough, guys. So trigger warning. I'll give very broad strokes here and refrain from going into too much detail because we know his crimes involve younger children. Yeah. So one afternoon, Evanitz snuck into a nearby house where two siblings, 11 and 13, were home alone. I'm leaving their names out of it because thankfully they survived and they have seemed to want to remain nameless Why over the years. Why would you not want to? Exactly. So Evanitz sneaks up on these two girls and waves a handgun in their faces. Oh, big badass, huh? He sent the 11-year-old girl to the bathroom and locked her inside and threatened her to stay quiet. He then proceeded to turn his attention toward the 13-year-old sister, and he sexually assaulted her. And once he was finished, he just got up and left. That's it. Wow. 
Evanitz then returned home and moved on with his life like like it was literally nothing. Like he probably went to an HOA meeting afterwards. I mean, it, it he just could do these crimes one minute and then continue with life as if nothing happened. It's crazy. That's wild. But we've seen that so many fucking times. Mm-hmm. Look at all these. Oh, he was such a good guy. Oh, it's the so butcher sh- baker was such a great member of the, of the town and all these other things. It's a extreme ability to compartmentalize. But it's obviously sociopathy. I mean, obviously, right? A what? Sociopath, like a sociopath. Oh, yeah. I mean, because I think even people with, like, you're able to compartmentalize. Well, there's there's compartmentalizing. But you're not able to, like, that would affect, like, something that horrible would send you out, you know? If, if nothing else, you'd be sitting there like, fuck, do they know what's going on? Does yeah, paranoid at least. call the cops or, you know what I mean? Like, you'd be worried about it at least. You know what I mean? Paranoid to your points. Yeah. Guilty, whatever you want to say it, you'd act differently. You wouldn't just be like, what's up, folks? Are we talking about the fence height this week that we're going to enforce? Like, Yeah, exactly. So meanwhile, he's doing fine. And these poor girls suffered psychological damage that lasted them, that are lasting them a lifetime. Oh, of course they are. They did end up speaking to police and they gave police crucial details as to what their attacker looked like, which is wonderful. Proud of them for doing that. A sketch artist was able to make a composite sketch, but unfortunately it just wasn't enough to lead police to evidence. And their case unfortunately went cold for the time being. Because what they probably did, like most police departments did back in that day, mm-hmm. is you know, they got the description, they got the sketch, mm-hmm. they went through known sex offenders and known criminals. Did they have coded? No. No. They didn't have codes then. No, no. So what they're looking all they're gonna be able to look at is mugshots. You know what I mean? They probably scroll through the mug shots of the local. They're looking for anybody in the system, basically. Would he be if, is, did the Navy have a database of any sorts that they would share? So, yes and no. Their database wouldn't be shared with like local PD. That sucks. And he's in a different state, too. The only federal would have access to his stuff. Because he was in Florida when he committed but, the, it doesn't matter, probably. He would probably. still be in the federal database. Ooh. Because yeah. he's military. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't send up any red flags. But unless you're back then, I think now, you, well, nowadays I know for a fact you can run background checks through federal and stuff like that. But back in the day, you had to like request from them to run. Yeah. The, hey, you'd have to send them the paperwork and be like, hey, can you find this dude? See if you can and see good luck hit. if they complied or exactly. not. Exactly. If they, if they were like, yeah, let's get, there's probably like one person in D.C. that does it for every department in the country. I was talking to another case I'm working on, um, one of the victim's family members. And they've been trying to get the FBI on yeah, their yeah, side yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah. And they're like, what do we need to pay out of our pocket? We'll do it. Just getting a response back is like pulling teeth. Well, like I said, the FBI is not focused on those things. No. Right. So they have one little division or one little department that probably has three to fucking five people. Yeah. That do, are doing this for the rest of the country. Do better, FBI. Please do better. We know you're listening. <sighs> yeah. I know you listen to We know to Courtney's us. on your watch list because all the shit she looks up. Exactly. <laughs> At least let my watch list do some good I'm in this world. I'm pretty sure I'm on it after buying the books I bought for the episodes I'm doing coming up and the one we almost did because I had the one we almost did on Joseph Mingle. So funny. And you took that when you were on your flight to Connecticut, you took your Mingle book on the plane. Yeah. So I literally had, I literally at one time bought books all at the same, all at the same time. I bought books for the case I'm doing coming up, the online one for the one I did last week. Uh-huh. For uh, Natural Born Killers one oh and Nazi books because I was going to do Joseph Mengel. 
<laughs> and the, the TSA guy, well, your shirt was already, already got you oh, in yeah, trouble. Oh, yeah, I was wearing my tattoos are for felons shirt. Because Patrick, if you, I know you can't see him, but he has tattoos. He was yeah. in the military. Yeah. And so we have a funny shirt. Um, tattoos are for, are for felons. They're matching. And it's written in like crayon. Yeah, it says tattoos are for felons, which is just But of funny. course, I wasn't paying attention and I wore that and TSA was like, uh, what's that shirt supposed to mean? I'm like, it's a joke. <laughs> I was a cop. <laughs> Double O donut at the airport needed to calm down. <laughs> That's what I told him. I was like, I was a federal cop for 14 years. He was like, oh. Oh, my God. joke, buddy. So funny. So what's not funny is imagine the poor girls that he did this to. That they was a- had to. A horrible segue. I know. I, yeah, this Sorry. is a terrible transition, but we get your point. You're trying to go back to being serious, and it's not a laughing matter. But they had to spend all these years because, you know, He's not caught for a long time. Yeah, yeah, they're just terrified. Is he going to come back? back? Is he going to finish the job? You know. And you know the, what's unfortunate about those those situations, right? Because you know that thirteen year old has suffered horrific trauma, mm-hmm. right? The eleven year old has suffered horrific trauma. But one thing you forget Absolutely. about about the eleven year old: the eleven year old is also going to have guilt, survivor's guilt, yes, from that incident. Because maybe that eleven year old is going to grow up when they're thirty or forty, or they're sitting there saying, "I wonder if I could have done something to stop that." And you couldn't have. Baby. You're eleven. Yeah. With a grown ass ex military dude, you're, you couldn't have done anything. But no. that's often overlooked in those situations. Sometimes the other one just—it's a different kind of trauma. Obviously, it's nobody's fault but his. Oh, it's all his fault. They were innocent children. So, despite Richard and Bonnie being so well liked in their community, Bonnie was just not happy with Richard anymore. If she ever was, to I mean, be honest, he married her at sixteen and did really weird sexual BDSM stuff. kinky stuff to her. She was fed up with him. She's had enough of him. So in the summer of 1996, Bonnie left Richard and she told him when she told him she was done, she just packed her things and she went to California. I'm out, bitch. And this set Richard off, off. How dare you leave me? Capital O, capital F, capital F. It was, I mean, this was a trigger for him. Possibly one might say a catalyst for his next attack. I was about to say... Here we go with this pattern again. Mm-hmm. Bundy. Mm-hmm. Some of the other ones. It's Bonnie's fault. It's always Which that. Which Bonnie, it's not your fault. It's always that he's, love interest that breaks their heart. A that molds their victim profile, basically. On September 9th, 1996, Richard took the day off of work, citing that he had a dentist appointment. Spoiler alert. He did not. Instead of going to the dentist, Richard found himself driving around a random neighborhood in Spotsylvania hunting for a victim. That's when he spotted 16-year-old high school student Sophia Silva. Sophia was a junior in high school, and that afternoon, she was on her front porch drinking a grape soda and doing some homework since the weather was so nice outside. That day, the young girl decided to take a break from her studies to simply just take a stroll down her street. And that's when evidence pulled up beside her under the guise of needing directions. Sophia, she was always eager to help, so she would not have hesitated to stop and give him directions. However, she was interrupted when he opened the door and lunged at her with a rag in his hand. Okay. Before Sophia could get a scream out, Richard shoved the rag down her throat. Mm -hmm. And as she gagged, he would have handcuffed her and shoved her face down into the backseat of his car. Then he slammed the door, hopped in the driver's side, and took off. And as he did, Sophia did 
his best to sit up, but he struck her in the head until she just laid back down. Now, this is something we don't usually see, but instead of taking Sophia to some obscure location, to go home? Richard actually brought her back to his house. Yeah. Well, we have seen uh, it a few times. I would like to, to remind you that this is in broad daylight. Yeah, this is some ballsy as shit. In fact, Richard's neighbor, a man named Keith, was actually outside, probably just watering his lawn, <laughs> when evidence came barreling down the street, music blaring really loud, probably to cover up yeah, her cover up screams. any screams if she got the rag out of her mouth. Well, Keith watched as evidence whipped into his garage and then closed the door behind him real quick. Yeah. And so hear anything. Keith was like, what the fuck? That's fucking weird, dude. So they're friends. So he went and he knocked on Richard's front door and was like, you okay, man? And he probably knows you that good? his wife just left him. So he's like, yeah, you check good? on the dude. And Richard opened the door slightly, like the real incriminating, just peek through, you know. Like the, the, like the hotel door with the chain on it. Like, only goes like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. And Richard was like, yeah, bro, I'm just busy. I got some shit to do. Catch you later. And Keith's like, okay. But little did neighbor Keith know that Richard, the president of the Homeowners Association, had a 16-year-old terrified little girl held hostage in his home. And trigger warning here, guys, this part gets fairly rough, so please be warned. I'll give you a minute to skip ahead. It would later be learned that Richard tore off Sophia's clothing, then handcuffed her to his marital bed that he had once shared with his wife. He then did something that we are going to see again, and this is kind of his thing, okay? It's kind of his MO. He proceeded to shave off Sophia's pubic hair before sexually assaulting her. He loves to do that. Well, well, he likes little girls. Why he did this is, I mean, it's up for speculation, but I mean, we could theorize, like Pat said, um, you know, the younger, the better for him. You know, in a normal person's case, I'd be like, it's not normal, but you would say it's kind of just a preference thing. But with him, it's a hundred percent. It's, it's hundred percent. Yeah. He's trying to make them as young as possible. Ugh. Whatever the reason, I mean, think about how confused and terrified she must have been when and that then was that's, happening. And then, yeah, that's really weird too. Tied up, yeah. So I mean, obviously, it's all traumatic, right? She's been stripped. She's been kidnapped. She's tied that, up, and then he's just that? shaving her. Yeah, that's fucking weird. It's really man. weird. I mean, so confusing. So to add to your terrifiedness, the confusion, like it's like a good horror movie. When you don't know what the fuck is happening, it scares the shit out of you. After Richard was done with her, he then strangled her to death. And this would have been Richard's first murder. And not to be crass, but by done with her, you're talking about like sexually assaulting her. Yes. Yes. I wasn't going to get too much. No, I know you weren't. I just wanted to clarify it wasn't, he wasn't done shaving her. He did other things. Shaving her is important because it's it's a thing that they, the police can connect. Right. right. Yeah. It's, it's that one, it's a commonality between all the cases. Exactly. After he was satisfied that Sophia was in fact deceased, Richard redressed her haphazardly and then took out a large blanket and wrapped her body in it and secured it with thick rope before tossing her in the trunk of his car. Okay. Then he just went to sleep for the night because he's tired. Well, he's exhausted. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people would wonder why he dressed her if he was just going to roll her up. He had to get rid of the clothes. Mm-hmm. I mean. The next morning, he woke up early to drive down Virginia State Route 3 into a forested, isolated area where he parked and dumped her remains. He then returned home and called in sick to work for the day, citing that he was still suffering from pain from yesterday's dental visit that didn't happen. Meanwhile, 
Umberto and Phyllis Silva, Sophia's parents, were frantically searching for their beautiful daughter all over the neighborhood. And she would have never just simply taken off. It, last they saw her, she was out front. She her just, homework was still on the porch. That's, what I mean. that's suspicious as hell. Her family immediately suspected the worst had what, happened. If her homework is just literally still sitting there and there's no trace of this kid, no. The first thing you're going to suspect is something happened. Well, so they called to report the 16 year old missing. However, the police just, they found it so hard to believe that a teenage girl could have been snatched up in broad daylight with a neighborhood full of potential witnesses. And this was not a quiet neighborhood. I mean, people were out and about milling out and about during the day, you know? But nevertheless, the police searched, which we like to see it. They're going to look because it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a 16-year-old kid. They just don't want to be... Well, at this point, we saw it a lot in the 70s where they just didn't do shit. Yeah, 24 hours. So in the 80s... still do that With all the serial... You know, that was the decade of the serial killer was the 70s. So the Mm -hmm. 80s, they're like, okay, we're going to at least look. You know what I mean? Now we're in the 90s, really. So they're like... It's a different time. So they're going to look. Late 90s. They knocked on door on neighbors' doors to see if anyone had heard or seen anything suspicious. And most compelling, on September 12th, the police brought bloodhounds out to see if they could track Sophia's scent. Mm-hmm. The dogs tracked her from her front porch, and then her, her scent ended near a newspaper box at the end of the road, which, come to find out, they wouldn't find this out until much later. That was the exact location that Sophia was intercepted by Richard. Mm, okay. The search for Sophia intensified when her case appeared on an episode of American of an American TV series, America's Most Wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Old John. And well, we covered his whole story. This this is good and bad. No, it's never bad to garner attention. Never no, bad. I'm, but <laughs> I was saying, yeah, because oh, no, what John Walsh does with his oh, he's amazing. life is just amazing. This garnered national attention for Sophia's case, which is good, like I was saying. However, it caused the police to to waste a lot of their time following several bogus tips. Well, you do see that. So for law enforcement, that is super frustrating. Yeah. Because of the attention, there's more imagine. pressure. You want attention, right? Well, you want attention. You want people to help. But what that does is the more more attention it gets on a national level, the more pressure locally you get put on by like the mayor, the governor. And the more coops you're going to get. And then also, yeah, you're going to get a whole bunch of people when there's pro- when, there, when there's reward money, they're mm-hmm. all going to be calling in bullshit or pranking it. You know what I mean? It's a, it, it's, it's, got a, it's a double-edged sword. For a solid month, a little over a month, the police followed all incoming leads, good and bad, with no luck. Then finally, on October 16th, workers assigned to demolish a beaver dam in a wooded area of Spotsylvania stumbled upon the body of a young girl. So he dumped her in the river and she just traveled until the dam blocked her and she couldn't go nowhere else. The medical examiner was able to positively ID the body as belonging to 16-year-old Sophia Silva. Phyllis and Umberto Silva, her parents, finally had closure as to the whereabouts of their baby, but it wasn't the happy ending that they had been praying for. No, but, and I hate to say they're anything positive for that, but yeah. there are so many people that are in those situations that never know, never to get close. We've covered a couple of Any them. They of. never get closure. They never know what happened to their, their, their child. Unfortunately for the Silvas, they would have to wait several more years for the person responsible for taking their daughter's life to be caught. And that's gotta be awful too. Right? Awful. You lost your child. You lost a loved one. They were Especially clearly your killed. Baby. They yeah. were clearly killed. And then that person's just, you never hire, you don't hear anything for you. It's again, is that my next? Are they going to come back for us? 
Yep. Do I see this person every day and talk to them and not knowing what they did to me? Everyone's a suspect when you're in that position. Yeah. However, that's not to say that someone wasn't paying for Sophia's murder. Someone absolutely was. Unfortunately, it just wasn't the person actually responsible. they, They put it on somebody else. See, the blanket that Sophia's body had been wrapped in was made by a company that sold the heavy blue moving blankets that we actually have in our garage right now. Yeah. <laughs> From when we moved. Yeah. You know those heavy ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those particular blue moving blankets were all sold out of a particular warehouse that employed a career criminal by the name of Michael Rausch. To add to suspicion, Mr. Rausch's 1984 Dodge Caravan was apparently spotted cruising through Sophia's neighborhood the day she disappeared. Now, this is all pretty flimsy circumstantial evidence. I mean, obviously, there's no hard evidence here. No, and it's a 10-year-old car, there's, and it's a van. And it just so happens that he worked, yeah. Well, he's not the only one that has a van, you know what I mean? They just probably, any suspicious cars, and they're like, did you see this kind of van? Someone was like, yes! You know what I mean? However, on November 14th, after Sophia's body had been discovered, Roush failed to show up um, to his probation hearing. And because of that, the authorities secured, they were able to secure a search warrant of Roush's home and vehicle. Yeah. Items of interest were collected, and in a forensics report, it was declared that fibers found, this is important, it was declared in that forensics report that fibers found in Roush's vehicle were a positive match to fibers found on Sophia's body. This was enough to indict Roush and send him to trial. We've already established that he works at the one place you get the fucking blankets from. So, of course, just the fibers are going to be the same. Well, just hang on to that. So, it's very likely that if things would have gone differently, Michael Roush would have been tried and convicted of a murder that he, in fact, did not commit. However, it would unfortunately take another murder committed by the real killer to clear Mr. Roush's name. Well, yeah, you think you got the guy, you're like, I got this dude, we arrest him. And then another one happens, you see it, well, it's scream movies all the time and shit. You're like, well, it couldn't be you. It's, it's just crazy to me. And that brings us to Richard Evans's next victim, or victims, plural. Oh, escalation. Yep. On May 1st, 1997, Richard did his usual thing, which is to call in sick to work for one reason or another. So that he could go hunting for a victim. Richard spotted two sisters, 15-year-old Kristen and 12-year-old Katie Lisk. Sick fuck. Kristen was in the driveway and she was waiting to greet her 12-year-old sister, Katie, who had just gotten off of the school bus. She's just sitting outside like a good older sister. Yeah. Because her parents probably aren't home Mm because it's the 90s. So the older sibling's waiting for the younger one to get home. And after the sisters exchanged pleasantries... Katie went back inside where she heard the screech of tires. And she was like, that's weird. So she went outside to investigate. And to her surprise, she saw a man outside her home standing in front of a green Ford Taurus. The trunk of his car was up and it appeared that someone appeared to be inside. Oh. Kristen, her sister. He had already gotten her inside the trunk. The man wasted no time and grabbed Katie, binding her hands together and tossing her into the trunk next to her already bound sister before slamming the trunk and driving his victims back to his house. Wow. Broad daylight. Broad daylight. 
He does not wait till nighttime That's to do this. Crazy. How does that it's even ballsy. No one sees you, let alone one, but two. Not any time that he does this, does anyone see him? It's just so insane to me. And he screeches the tires, which yeah, he's loud. In the neighborhood of his home is probably like uh, he's an animal. Okay, trigger warning, guys. This gets rough again. Richard wants safely at home. Dragged the two terrified sisters inside. He then took all of their clothes off and locked Katie, the younger of the two, in the bathroom. Then Richard proceeded to shave Kristen's pubic region, as is now his MO, right? Yeah. However, you will be shocked to know that Richard did not sexually assault these two girls this time. It is surmised that he was beginning to suffer from some sort of ED or impotency uh, issues. And on this occasion, he wasn't able to perform. Oh, so he tried to. Yeah, but okay. he, he couldn't. After Richard, he because of this, he grew bored. He was tired of them because he can't, you know, do what he wants. So he, he killed them both, strangled them, and got put their bodies in the trunk of his car. God, sorry. This is just so awful. It's so awful that, you know, I mean, all of it's awful, but just, he's so sick. (laughs) There was no need to kill anybody, abduct anybody. And then he can't even perform. And it's, and then he still, Oh, well, he can't, in his mind, he probably can't let him leave because they've seen him. I know. He can describe him. It just makes me all discombobulated. That's horrible. It's fucking horrible. So he put him in the trunk of his car, and he didn't have him long because he couldn't do a lot with them. So he just waited until it got dark enough outside, and he put him in the trunk of his car and just drove off. And uh, he drove out to neighboring Hanover County where he dumped the sisters in the waters of the South Anna River. Meanwhile, Katie and Kristen's father, Ron Lisk, came home to his two girls nowhere to be found. The front door of their house was unlocked, and he immediately knew that something was horribly wrong since his girls always locked the doors. So Ron immediately called the police. Police sprung right into action, and they set up roadblocks in the Lisk neighborhood, which is, I that's something I like to see. I know it's a little late, but I like to see that. Wasn't much use for this time, but more of that, please. <laughs> well, it's, it's much more proactive than awesome. saying we're looking, right? Because they're literally putting yeah. eyes on every car that comes through that area. Soon, a large team of investigators and volunteers were canvassing the area, searching for clues, although unfortunately nothing was found that night. Five days later, on May 6th, the remains of Katie and Kristen Lisk were discovered floating on top of the water by a group of city workers. The local sheriff's office hurried out to the scene, and the girls were loaded up and sent to Richmond to be examined. The medical examiner was able to retrieve hairs not belonging to Uh, either Katie or Kristen, from the girls' bodies. He was also able to confirm that the bodies, indeed, were the two missing sisters. Yeah. With that, Ron and Patty Lisk were notified that their daughters had been found. Both parents were beyond distraught. However, Patty Lisk leaned into her faith, and she took solace in knowing that her daughters were now safe and in heaven and can no longer be hurt. Losing one child is unimaginable, but... I can't imagine losing two at the same. Yeah. It's just heartbreaking. So if you remember, there is someone in jail right now uh, awaiting trial for the murder of our first victim, so uh, Sophia Silver. Right. Silva, sorry. 
And um, Michael Rush is his name. Yeah. Well, upon the discovery of Katie and Kristen Lisk, police could not look past the similarities of the two crimes. The victims were all snatched in broad daylight, right out of their neighborhoods. All were roughly the same age. They all kind of looked alike. They all had dark hair. All were dumped in a similar fashion in a remote location. And of course, all of the victims had their pubic region shaved. Very odd, right? right. This is a little weird. That's you not, can't, that's so specific that it's not a coincidence. Exactly. It's, it's so, so specific. Yes. It's, it's, yeah. But Michael Roush couldn't have killed Katie and Kristen from jail, obviously. Yeah, no shit. But what about the fibers found in Roush's vehicle that matched the fibers on Sophia's body? Well, it turns out those fibers were, in fact, not a match. Oh. After it was decided that there was no case against Michael Roush, the state had to release a statement admitting that they were wrong. Their forensic officer was wrong, and there was no reason to hold Mr. Roush behind bars any longer. So, in other words, after further testing, the initial test run by the forensics officer was incorrect. Right, and... They're not going to say we made an oops because they can't just let him out on that. Well, yeah. Of course, the forensic officer, it was a woman named Robin McLaughlin, and she was fired Oops, right after somebody's that. Somebody's got to get blamed for it. So at least they corrected their wrongs. But I don't think they did. I think they covered it up. Yeah. I think they thought they had their guy, and they can't just release they him did and say. Write, they did write a letter saying we were wrong. Right, but what I'm they saying, what I'll, I'm I'll saying give them is that. they may have not done that of the initial intent, right? No. They couldn't sit there and say, Rosh is not the guy because it happened again. That was no reason to get him off, right? But they knew it wasn't him at this point, so they had the to state, say, yeah. we were wrong, basically. Like, oops, sorry. I hate to throw blame out there like it's nothing, but I have a feeling that this Robin McLaughlin, the forensics officer, wanted to close this case, so she just threw out that this was a match. Because what would it hurt? I feel like she's a scapegoat. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? I feel like they did that, and then they fired her because they're like, see, we took corrective action because we fucked up. Hard to say. All that matters is... It was caught. I mean, yeah. The wrong guy didn't go to prison ultimately. Right. So at least they corrected their wrongs to some extent. But now that we're back at square one and investigators had no new leads. So in the spring of 1999. That's got to suck for what's-her-face's parents too. Yeah. Because you lose your daughter. Sophia's and then the. Then you get closure because they catch the killer. Mm Mm-hmm. And then two more girls end up murdered, and you're like, ooh. That's it's a roller coaster awful. of emotions. And then they're like, oh, actually, we didn't catch the murder. We caught the wrong guy. And even the two girls that he raped, you know, they're watching the news. Their parents are watching the news saying, this is, a, this is the guy, yeah. you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. Ooh. So in the spring of 1999, Spotsylvania Sheriff Ronald Knight held a press conference in an attempt to keep the case alive and to reassure the community that the hunt for the perpetrator was still underway. In the meantime... The perpetrator had been a busy man. In 1998, Richard remarried. He had met a young waitress named Hope while out to breakfast one morning with his sisters, and the two had fallen in love. Hope and Richard soon became close, and by the fall of 99, the couple had moved into Richard's sister's home in Columbia, South Carolina. So he left Virginia and went closer to his sister's. Well, he's hanging out with, with his sister, so I assumed he was yeah. back in South Carolina, yeah. Yeah, he's living at his sister's now, sorry. Just before Christmas of 1999, Hope and Richard were married, and after Richard secured a decent job at a local compressed air dealer, the couple were able to move into their own apartment close to his sister. In this apartment, Richard and Hope collected animals. They had snakes, hamsters, guinea pigs, 
two large birds, spiders, anything you can think of. They had it. This was probably because Hope took a job at the local PetSmart. So she would regularly bring home critters, which I'd do the same. So no hate. Minus the snakes. (laughs) I was about to say, if you were working at PetSmart, you'd have chinchillas and hamsters and dogs and cats and fish. It would be a zoo. (laughs) Literally everything but spiders and snakes. Five years had come and gone, and Richard had not raped or killed anyone. We often see a cooling off period, but five years is a big chunk of time in serial killer time, I'd say. I know BTK went, what, 20-something, 30-something? Yeah, but I feel like his attacks were brought on by his anger from his divorce and his urges. Maybe. When It seems like when he's married, he, has, he, takes, his, he takes the urges out. Mm-hmm. He needs to take his urges out on somebody. And that's what he did yeah. in his first marriage with the, the stuff she hated doing, the kinky, weird, like next, next level shit. And I think he probably did the same thing with her. So he doesn't need to act out. He's releasing it. Yeah. Was he reformed? No. Not at all. He's just, his. he has an outlet. His innermost monster would rise back up to the surface again, of course. Well, we know this from the opening story. And this brings us to Richard's final victim. And this is not going to be an easy one, guys. So fair warning. In June of 2002, Richard was by himself in his apartment. His wife, Hope, had left to go on a trip with his mother, Tess, and his nephew, Maddie. So they were away. I believe they went to Disneyland. Land? Wow. Yeah, Disneyland. Could you imagine going to Disneyland and this is what was being done when you were gone? Yeah. I mean, no, I can't. <laughs> so sitting alone in his apartment, Richard started to get some dark thoughts creeping back in. As he sat, he was kind of looking around his apartment and he noticed a large Rubbermaid container in his place. And he thought, hey, I should put this container in the back of my car and get myself a girl to stuff inside of it. Oh. Yeah. that's Okay. And that's exactly what he set out to do that day. Driving around, Richard spotted a young girl, 15-year-old Kara Robinson. Kara was visiting her friend Heather at the time, and it had been Heather's chore to water the flowers out front. Well, the two girls were getting ready to head to the lake for the day, and Heather wanted to take a quick shower. So being a good friend, Kara offered to water the plants for her friend while she showered. Oh, God. Well, Richard drove his Trans Am right up into the driveway, got out of the car, and under the guise of being a salesman, he asked Kara, is there something, is there someone here I could give these pamphlets to? And he had a binder in his hand filled with pamphlets. And Kara, young and naive, was completely honest with him because bless her heart, she's a kid, you yeah, know? She's 15. She said innocently, this isn't my house, it's my friend's house, and she's inside taking a shower. And Richard then asked if her parents were home, to which Kara replied, no, they're not home. And Richard then handed some of the pamphlets he had in his hand over to Kara. And as she was distracted reaching for them, he pulled a gun out that he had been concealing under a binder that he was holding. Of course. Of course. He used his free arm to wrap it around Kara and said, you're coming with me. Richard then marched Kara over to his vehicle and he took the lid off the Rubbermaid container in the back seat and ordered Kara to climb inside of it, which she did. Then Richard shut the container, he got in the car, and he drove off. Now, Kara, although in a terrifying situation, somehow handled this whole damn thing like a pro. However, 
She handled this drive like a pro. She had the wherewithal to keep calm and keep him talking. From the container, Kara asked Richard, is there any way you can contact my mom and let her know I'm okay? I know everyone's so worried about me because they were driving quite a ways. She was like, this was a long ways away. Like somebody's probably worried about me. Yeah. To which Richard replied, I guess they'll have to worry a couple of more days, which is twisted because he's giving her hope that she'll be released. And we all know that he's planning on killing her when he's done with her. Right. After driving some more, Richard pulled over to the side of the road, opened the Rubbermaid container and handcuffed Kara using a set of furry handcuffs. Those fetish handcuffs. Yeah. Everybody knows what furry handcuffs are. Then proceeded to stuff a wad of paper towels in Kara's mouth. I believe he did this once. Uh, He was closer to the apartment so that he would be able to haul Kara inside of the container without her screaming, you know, because he's in a complex, an apartment complex. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm guessing there. Well, I mean, obviously the gagging is to keep that from happening and the handcuffing is, to your point, to make it easier so she doesn't try to hop out or claw out or whatever. Richard then drove to his apartment and carried the Rubbermaid container with Kara inside. Once inside his unit, Richard shut the door behind him, locked it, and then slid several heavy boxes of junk in front of his door for extra security. So in case she tried to escape, she would have to get through a bunch of shit. Yeah, it also blocks the bottom of the door so sound doesn't get out as Or if somebody decided to come in, they would have to, yeah. He then lifted up the lid to the container, and as Kara's eyes adjusted to the light, she was surprised to see an apartment filled with animals. So freaking confusing, I know. Yeah. He demanded that Kara get out of the container, and then he marched her off to a bedroom where he ordered that she get undressed. Humiliated, but wanting to comply, Kara ultimately felt that she just had no choice but to stay on his good side by complying, you know? So she undressed. Shockingly, Richard then took out this weird wooden, this is a quote, wooden restraining apparatus that he had obviously constructed for this very reason, and he ordered Kara to lay on it. So he's been planning on doing this again for quite some time, right? Jeez. Yeah. He then proceeded to rape the 15-year-old girl over and over again. She was gagged the entire time, but Kara remained so still and so compliant that he eventually trusted her enough to remove her gag because he trusted her not to scream or cry out. After one of the many assaults, Kara politely asked if she could have a cup of water. Disgustingly, Richard replied that she could have whatever she wanted as long as she said please and as long as she called him daddy. Okay. Oh, my God. This made Kara sick to her stomach. I'm positive it did. It has to. I can speak for her. But in the same situation, she's going to say it just to comply. You know what I mean? But she complied. And she said, Daddy, may I have a drink of water? And he got up and he got her water before assaulting her again. After this assault, Richard watched TV in bed for a little bit before asking Kara if she was scared. What? Yes, I'm scared. Yeah, no, yeah. No, I'm fine. I'm good. (sighs) Jesus, this dude's a fucking nut job. Kara said, yes, I'm scared. And Richard was like, why? (laughs) And she said, well, because I don't want to die. You know, just being honest. But why would you ask her why? You fucking know why. Because he's, he's controlling the fear. He's, it's the fear. It's he the control. It. It's the power. He obviously gets off on it because after that, Richard assaulted her once again. If you're like me, you're thinking back to Richard's last two victims, Katie and Kristen. 
Remember, he didn't rape them supposedly because he was impotent. Yeah. So how is he assaulting Kara time after time after time? Later on, it would be determined that Richard had a bunch of Viagra in his system in preparation for this. Oh, Jesus. Disgusting pig. Jesus. Not even a I hate to compare pigs to this guy because I like pigs. Pigs are just really Pig smart shit. animals. They're just gross. After Richard had satisfied himself to some degree, he got up from bed and told Kara that he was going into the kitchen to do dishes. Well, Kara, in an attempt to gain some sort of compassion from this asshole, politely asked if there was anything that she could do to help him. Like, wow, she's amazing. That's fucking. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. Richard told her that she could, in fact, help him by sweeping up the kitchen floor. So she did. As her rapist washed dishes at the sink, Kara dutifully swept his kitchen floor. After their chores were all done, Richard led Kara back to the bed, recuffed Kara's hands, and tied her legs to the wooden restraint thingy. Yeah. And then laid down beside her and went to sleep. Oh. Richard started to snore after some time, and that's when Kara decided to make her move. She tugged on the loosely tied knot of her leg restraints until it came loose. Then she quietly slid out of bed. She stood up, still handcuffed. Now she's naked. Yeah. Um, She could have just ran out the door, but she's so precious. She slipped on her shorts, and then she was able to wriggle one hand free out of the handcuff, and she was able to put on her T-shirt. So she's getting herself together. And then she tiptoed to the front door. She's being super quiet. Now, remember, Richard had moved a bunch of boxes and junk in front of the door. So she was trying quietly to move it out of the way box by box to access the door. Yeah. Well, while she was moving one of the boxes, the contents jangled, and Richard's snoring abruptly stopped. Uh-huh. That whole horror movie. that Yeah. <laughs> and they mm-hmm. pause, and you're like, oh, shit. So without any further regard for how quiet she was being, Kara started to sh- shove shit off to the side until she reached the door. She unlocked it, flung it open, and she ran for her life out into the apartment parking lot. And that's where we got to the beginning of our story uh, at the beginning when I talked about um, how she came upon Corey Thompson and his niece, 16-year-old Kenya Spry. The pair were backing their car out of their parking space when Kara came up screaming for their help. Luckily, the Good Samaritans were more than willing to help the teenager and drive her to the police station, and she was now safe. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, bravo to them, because I know a lot of people, maybe now today's day and age, Yeah, a lot of people, I don't know if they would do that. They would be like, get away from me, crazy person, and drive off. I also was thinking that when Kara saw Ken, uh, Kenya. Da- him with his daughter, he's going to have a different reaction. They're about the same age. So I'm sure that she was like, oh, my God, someone that's my age. You know? I mean, for like, sure, if I'm, if, I'm with, with, yeah, if I'm with one of our girls yeah, and something like that. like, And a girl their age comes up, you're going to be like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, I know. Well... Kara carefully recounted minute by minute every detail of her horrifying situation and heroically led police back to Richard's apartment where they discovered that not only did they have a child predator on their hands, but a wanted serial killer. Although Richard had fled his apartment, police found crucial evidence in a footlocker in his apartment. Several newspaper clippings about the unsolved murders of Sophia Silva and Katie and Kristen Lisk. Yep. So they had to find this guy ASAP. Well, yeah. yeah. Now they're suspicious that this is the dude that did all this shit. And where was he? Well, it turns out that as soon as he woke up, 
and noticed that Kara had fled, excuse me, he hopped in his car and used his cell phone to call his sister, Kristen. Without giving her any details, he told her that he was in a lot of trouble and he needed her to book him a couple of days at a nearby hotel. Somehow, Kristen agreed and booked her brother two nights at a day's inn. Because she probably to me. She has, well, he's never, in her, to her knowledge, he's never been in any trouble yeah, like this. Yeah, it's just her brother. He's probably a little weird. He's probably a little quirky. He, she knows he gets into some sort of trouble sometimes, like nothing bad. Mm-hmm. And they don't know about the Navy incident, and they clearly don't know about all the other stuff he's done. He'll know. So she's like, yeah, I guess I can book it for I can hook you up. She comes through. Not long after that phone call with her brother, Kristen was contacted by police. They filled her in and told her that her brother had kidnapped and raped a young woman, and she was dumbfounded. Like, she was insisting there there has to be some kind you're, of mistake. You're wrong, you're wrong. There has to be a mistake here, you know? After some time talking with the police, she soon started to accept the gravity of this situation. Well, she's probably like, you got the wrong person, right? And they're like, well, we're in his apartment, and she, they're giving her details about his she's stuff. She's like, oh, my God. His apartment, yeah. all these things. And she's like, Jesus, that is him. She then did the right thing and gave police the location of the hotel, the days in, where she had booked Richard a room before calling her mother and Richard's wife in Flor- uh, in um, Disneyland. Which is what Disney a normal World. person would do. They'd be like, I'm not going to give up my brother. And then they're like, oh, my brother did what? Well, remember his his wife and his mom are on vacation. She called, Kristen called him up and was like, y'all need to come home. Uh, you need to come home. He it's was just bad. arrested for yeah. rape and murder. The police wasted zero time in heading to the Days Inn. However, Richard was one step ahead of police. He was not there. She may she may have tipped him off. He had suspected that his sister might give him up. So right before police showed up, Richard had left the hotel and headed down the highway. While driving, Richard called his other sister, Jennifer, who by now was privy to this whole situation. And during their conversation... Richard admitted to not only abducting and raping uh, 15-year-old Kara Robinson, but also to the murder of the three girls in Spotsylvania. And his sister was like, what? I mean, I'm sure you could have knocked her over with a feather. You know? Well, I'm sure at this point, they probably didn't mention the Spotsylvania stuff because he's, he's just kind of... Yeah, he brought it up. He that's confessed. What I'm saying. It's just like a connection. Like, it's kind of weird. We really want to talk to this dude, right? But they already know that he's definitely a kidnapper and a rapist. Right. So the, his sister's probably like... Okay, you did kidnap and rape her? And he's like, oh, yeah, and I did this also. Like, Jeez. What the fuck? So as soon as they hung up, Jennifer alerted police that her brother was headed for her house. Because she was like, we'll come over here, you know? Yeah. And she wanted them there before he did. This is hard to believe. But before he was about to go to his sister's house, he decided that he was hungry. Richard did. So he stopped at IHOP and he ordered himself a coffee and pancakes. Okay. Ate oh, those. Oh, Jesus. And then left. <laughs> this motherfucker. If I just, first of all, I, I can't even say if I just, because I'm not going to, I just did this. But I, he just told his sister that he not only raped and kidnapped that girl. He's going to go have pancakes. kidnapped, raped, and murdered these three other girls. And he's just like, fuck, I'm hungry. I'm just going to go get pancakes. I'm hungry. Like, how do you not worry he compa- about. He's a sociopath. Like, oh my lord. He compartmentalizes. Each issue yeah. is its own. I mean, I know that. I'm I know, just, I know. It's mind-boggling that you can Absolutely. do it to that level. It's just unreal. By now, police were able to ping Richard's phone, and they were in hot pursuit. Richard led police on a high-speed chase for quite some time, putting the public at risk with his reckless-ass driving, for lack of a better. I won't get into the details, but, I mean, he was being a dumbass. 
Well, most police chases, when they're high-speed pursuits, they're not polite, dumb people. You know what I mean? They're dumbasses. They're putting so many people at risk. Patrick, you're going to really be interested in this part coming since you were a policeman. Finally, the cops strategically place what is known as stop sticks. Spike strips. In Richard's path. Yeah. And Richard drove over them and all of his tires were flattened and the chase was over. Stop sticks are like spike strips. They're just not as hard to maneuver and carry around and stuff. Richard Evanitz was surrounded. He was ordered to step out of the vehicle, but Richard had other plans. That was very clear as police watched him place his left hand out the window of the driver's side window. And with his right hand, he placed a gun inside of his own mouth and he was threatening to take his own life. Police ordered him to lower his weapon and step outside the vehicle. Fucking murder, suicide. Richard partially complied by using his free hand to the drive to open the driver's side door, all the while keeping that gun in his mouth with his other hand. Realizing that evidence wasn't going to give up easily, Officer Alan Devaney and his canine police dog approached the vehicle brandishing an AR-15. So that, and the reason for that being is if evidence like so much as looked at anyone funny, they could load them up. Superior firepower. Yeah, it's superior firepower is all it is. Um, they could quickly incapacitate him. Officer Devaney then sicked his dog on evidence. And y'all, this dog clamped down hard on Richard's leg. So hard that like his leg was hanging out of the vehicle. This dog was damn near pulling evidence out of the car. You know how strong they are. Yeah, yeah, I've worn the bite suits. I know exactly how strong these damn dogs are. This dog was so powerful that he damn near pulled Richard out of the car by the leg. But by some sort of tremendous willpower, evidence refused to budge. The dog then stopped biting his leg because he was like, I'm not getting anywhere. And he jumped up and he bit the hell out of Richard's arm. And Richard's bleeding everywhere. This dog's like eating him alive. If you've never seen police dog bites, they are fucking brutal. And evidence remained glued to his seat with the gun in his mouth, like just dealing with it. That's like hard to believe. Well, it's that mental compartmentalization. He's He's able to do it. He's so far into an episode, Mm -hmm. whatever it's, whatever it is, sociopathic, psychopathic, whatever kind of episode he's, he's so far into it that he doesn't even feel pain. One last time police ordered a very bloody Richard evidence to put down his weapon and step out of the car. However, Richard responded by pulling the trigger, sending a bullet through the roof of his mouth and right through his brain. Paramedics were rushed to the scene in an effort to save the serial sex killer. However, he was dead. He died instantly. Although no trial would be held for Richard Evanitz, a task force assigned to the case issued a statement declaring that they firmly believe Richard Evanitz was a Spotsylvania serial killer. And he, admit, and he also, they also have his admission he to He also admitted to it. You know, he's a coward. He's a coward. Right. And originally when I'm earlier, when you started talking about the scenario, I was thinking, I said murder, suicide. But it's also referred to as death by cop. Yes. That's yes. what I thought we were going for because they don't want to face the music to what they've done. They don't. He didn't. Well, nine out of 10 times they get into his scenario. They don't want to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. What they'll do is point the gun at a cop. A cop will take their life. Death by cop. Yeah. So it's death by cop. Yeah. But this dude was just even more of like, he was just such a little sissy. He's like, mm-hmm. I did all these horrible things. You caught me and then kills himself. Although the Lisk family and the Silva family now had answers, it's hard to say if they feel like justice was served. I know as a- You'll never feel justice was served for losing your child. 
as a mom, I would have I, I would have had a hard time knowing that he had taken such a cowardly way out. He cheated justice. Well, yeah, because if it was if it was God forbid one of our children or one of my kids or whatever, however you want to phrase that, because I don't want to like put a scenario where that's one of our children. But God no, I can't even let my mind go there. I would I would. But I'm just saying I would want. Them I know to I'd feel I'd want to bring him back to life so I we could make him hurt. I, that's what I'm just saying. I wouldn't want him to go that way. I want him to spend the rest of his life with, yeah. like medieval style fucking torture. A close friend of Sophia Silva, Melissa Britt, summed it up beautifully. When asked if she felt closure after the death of Richard Evidence, she said, quote, I felt a little bit of closure with Evidence's death, but I think he got off too easy. He needed to suffer more, to feel some pain. Maybe then he would feel remorse. I well, doubt he would ever feel remorse, no. but he certainly needed to feel some pain. But and they are going to honestly, they are going to feel some closure there mm-hmm. because for years the murderer from Spotsylvania had been missing or no one who knew who it was. So there's there is some closure there. Like everyone can breathe a sigh of relief. Like okay, this this shit really is over. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's not just in any way, shape, or form. Now to end with a little positivity, Kara Robinson, now Kara Robinson Chamberlain ended up receiving $150,000 in reward money and was able to meet the Lisk and Silva families. Kara says about meeting the other victims' families, quote, it was one of the most important things that's ever happened to me because it brought home the importance of what I did because I felt like, wow, I'm actually giving these families something that they never would have gotten without me. Just the closure of knowing that the person responsible for their daughter's death is no longer here, end quote. Kara later became a school resource officer and then an investigator on child abuse and sexual assault cases for law enforcement. Perfect. She eventually left her job, however, soon after she gave birth to her two sons. So she's a mama now. In 2019, Kara participated in an interview with fellow kidnapping survivor Elizabeth Smart and then took part in a 90-minute lifetime special called Smart Justice, the Jamie Kloss case along with five other kidnapping and assault survivors who all came together to show their support for the kidnapping survivor. And I'll end with a quote from Kara because I truly believe that she's the hero of this story and there's no one better to sign us off and close out this case than her. Fact. (laughs) Kara says, quote, if you look at what our statistics say, which is probably a conservative estimate that one in three women experience sexual assault in their lifetime, I realize that up to maybe more than a third of our population of women are experiencing something. Sorry, she's just so awesome. And they may never get the opportunity to sit down and to talk to someone who really understands what they went through. And I thought, if I can do that, if I can bring that to other women in some way, shape, or form, that would just be the epitome of my purpose. If I could just help other people. Sorry. It's okay. She's She's amazing. I mean, wow. <laughs> to be able to do that, you know, yeah, after what she Yeah, to be able to take what happens through. in trauma and turn it into such a positive, life-changing, world-changing for some people thing. Yeah, it's just phenomenal. These are happy tears. Like, I'm so impressed with yeah. her that I'm just floored. Of course. But, um, ooh, sorry. It takes a real special person to be able to turn something so horrible. Absolutely. Into something so positive and so powerful. And she, she's a keynote speaker. She helps other people. She's, uh, I think she's writing a book now. And I mean, we'll promote the hell out of it. Oh, I yeah. will buy up <laughs> as many as I need to. And helping other people is exactly what she's been doing since this horrific event took place in her life. And, um, she's a 
very profound um, person on social media. So don't hesitate to go and follow her on all social media platforms. I'm going to leak all of her socials below. Yeah, she doesn't hide from this. Yeah, she's a precious person inside and out and deserves all the good that comes to her. So I, I think I could do a whole episode just singing her praises. But if you ever do listen to this, Kara, we love you and God bless you and your family. And you're amazing. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to dry it up here. Yeah, and it's a rare occasion. Man up, maggot. No, and it's a rare occasion. I'm speechless on the overside. So. Oh, but that was it. I'm. I mean, no better way to end that, right? No, you're right. And when you said it earlier, you're like, it has a good ending. I'm like, how the fuck do any of these stories have a good ending? But it's so it's so powerful and so good. Yeah, that did come out of the horribleness that was there. Like, oh, I know those families that lost their children. Like being able to hug Kara, you know, yeah. who, who brought this guy down. Oh my God. It just would have ended me oh, yeah. in a good way. You well, know? Of course. It's like, it, it gives them almost like a, it's almost like a final hug to their lost one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And she knows that. But um, good on her. I know I'm forgetting because she's so awesome. I was reading about all the stuff that she did. I know I'm leaving out half of it, but she's a keynote speaker now. She's just amazing. I follow her on Instagram and TikTok and huge fan. Um... Merry Christmas. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> and yeah, there's that. I forgot for the whole time that this is going to be on Christmas, but okay. But that's a great way to lead us into the holiday season. It is a 100% a better ending than 99% of what we talk about here. Yep, all thanks to Kara and her bravery. And the only other story we've ever told that had that kind of positive outcome on the end of it uh-huh. were the two stories that have been Ed Kemper mm-hmm. and only because of the behavioral psychology advancements yeah and john walsh yeah he's amazing too absolutely so yep beauty from the ashes right there yeah pretty much but um i don't even know what else to say after i don't that. think there is anything else to say <laughs> uh happy holidays everybody we love you so much thank you for dealing with my emotional breakdown <laughs> It's all good. It's understandable. I barely, I barely kept mine in over here, so. Yeah, it's okay. We can go have a good hug and cry. <laughs> you can cry. Okay. I don't cry. You're crying right now. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> My nose is running. That's all. It's the allergies. It's this time of year. It really just gets me. <laughs> we love you guys. Be good to each other. And we will see you back here next week for some more Evil Pudding. Bye. <laughs>